everyone, this is Misaki Moto with your next chapter of A Long Walk to Water. So yesterday, Naya's father told her they were clearing land to build something, and she's like, well, what are you building? He goes, well, can't you guess? So that's a tiny little fun mystery. And then in Salva's story, he was going to college, he studied business in Rochester, New York, and then he gets an email from a cousin saying his father's in a hospital in southern Sudan. And and Salva thought his all his family had passed away during the war. And so suddenly he now knows that there's a family member out there. So he scrambles and it takes like months to get through all of kind of the paperwork and the red tape um, to get a permit to go to Sudan to see his father. And he's just arrived at the hospital. So let's find out what happens. Just so you know, we only have a couple of chapters left. So we are almost done with this book. Chapter 17, Southern Sudan, 2009. What do you think we are building here? Naya's father asked, smiling. A house? Naya guessed. Or a barn? Her father shook his head. Something better, he said. A school. Naya's eyes widened. The nearest school was half a day's walk from their home. Naya knew this because Deb had wanted to go there, but it was too far. A school? She echoed. Yes, he replied. With the well here, no one will have to go to the pond anymore. So all the children will be able to go to school. Naya stared at her father. Her mouth opened, but no words came out. When at last she was able to speak, it was only in a whisper. All the children, Papa? The girls, too? Her father's smile grew broader. Yes, Naya. Naya. Girls, too, he said. Now go and fetch water for us. And he returned to his work scything the long grass. Naya went back and picked up the plastic can. She felt as if she were flying. School! She would learn to read and write. Gosh, we're so lucky to live where we are, where everyone gets to go to school no matter what. That sometimes, and it's, you know, it's hard work, and I totally understand it's frustrating sometimes, but sometimes we forget what an incredible gift it is that we all get to go to school when there are so many people in the world who that's all they want. Let's find out what happens to Salva. Sudan and Rochester, New York, 2003 through 2007. Salva stood at the foot of one of the beds in the crowded clinic. Hello, he said. Hello, the patient replied politely. I've come to visit you, Salva said. To visit me, the man frowned. But who are you? You're Mawian Dut Eric, aren't you? Yes, that's my name. Salva smiled, his insides trembling. Even though his father looked older now, Salva had recognized him right away. But it was as if his eyes needed help from his ears. He needed to hear his father's words to believe he was real. I am your son. I am Salva. The man looked at Salva and shook his head. No, he said, it's not possible. 
Yes, Salva said. It's me, father. He moved to the side of the bed. Marian Dut reached out and touched the arm of this tall stranger beside him. Salva? He whispered. Can it really be you? Salva waited. Marian Dut stared for a long moment. Then he cried out, Salva! My son! My son! His body shaking with sobs of joy, he reached up to hug Salva tightly. It had been almost 19 years since they had last seen each other. Marian Dutt sprinkled water on his son's head, the Dinka way of blessing someone who was lost and is found again. Everyone was sure you were dead, Marian Dutt said. The village wanted to kill a cow for you. This was how Salva's people mourned the death of a loved one. I would not let them, his father said. I never gave up hope that you were still alive somewhere. And... And my mother? Salva asked, barely daring to hope. His father smiled. She is back in the village. Salva wanted to laugh and cry at the same time. I must see her! But his father shook his head. There is still war near Lou and Eric, my son. If you went there, both sides would try and force you to fight with them. You must not go. There was so much more to talk about. His father told Salva that his sisters were with his mother. But of his three brothers, only Ring had survived the war. Eric, the oldest, and Kuol, the youngest, were both dead. Little Kuol. Salva closed his eyes for a few moments, trying to picture his brothers through the haze of time and grief. He learned more about his father's illness. Years of drinking contaminated water had left Maui and Dutt's entire digestive system riddled with guinea worms. Sick and weak, he had walked almost 300 miles to come to the clinic and was barely alive by the time he finally arrived. So, when um, guinea worms are a type of parasitic worm, they're s- small. Um, it's not like a big, huge earthworm. Um, and what happens is when you're drinking contaminated water, like water from the pond that Naya goes to, um, water that's not been cleaned and purified, you can get parasites in them and they can take over your digestive system, which is what happened to Marian Dutt. So, that's what they mean by the guinea worms. Salva and his father had several days together, but all too soon it was time for Salva to return to America. His father would be leaving the clinic shortly as well. The surgery he had undergone had been successful, and he would soon be strong enough to make the long walk home. I will come to the village, Salva promised, as soon as it is safe. We will be there waiting for you, his father promised in turn. Salva pressed his face tightly to his father's as they hugged goodbye, their tears flowing and blending together. On the plane back to the United States, Salva replayed in his mind every moment of the visit with his father. He felt again the coolness on his brow when his father had sprinkled the water blessing on him. And an idea came to him. An idea of what he might be able to do to help the people of Sudan. Could he do it? It would take so much work, 
Perhaps it would be too difficult. But how would he know unless he tried? Back in Rochester, Salva began working on his idea. There were, it seemed, a million problems to be solved. He needed a lot of help. Chris and Louise gave him many suggestions. Scott, a friend of theirs, was an expert in setting up projects like the one Salva had in mind. He and Salva worked together for hours and days, which grew into weeks and months. Along the way, Salva met other people who wanted to help. He was grateful to all of them, but even with their help, it was much more work than he had imagined. Salva had to raise money for the project, and there was only one way to do this. He would have to talk to people and ask them to give money. The first time Salva spoke in front of an audience was in a school cafeteria. About a hundred people had come to hear him. There was a microphone at the front of the room. Salva's knees were shaking as he walked to the mic. He knew that his English still was not very good. What if he made mistakes in his pronunciation? What if the audience couldn't understand him? But he had to do it. If he didn't talk about the project, no one would learn about it. No one would donate money and he would never be able to make it work. Salva spoke into the microphone. Hello, he said. At that moment, something went wrong with the sound system. The speakers behind him let out a dreadful screech. Salva jumped and almost dropped the mic. His hands trembling, he looked out at the audience. People were smiling or chuckling. A few children were holding their ears. They all looked very friendly, and seeing the children made him remember. It was not the first time he had spoken in front of a large group of people. Years before, when he was leading those boys on their walk from the Ethiopian refugee camp to the one in Kenya, he had called a meeting every morning and evening. The boys would line up facing him and he would talk to them about their plans. All those eyes looking at him, but every face interested in what he had to say. It was the same here. The audience had come to the school cafeteria because they wanted to hear him. Thinking of that made him feel a little better, and he spoke into the mic again. Hello, he repeated, and this time only his own voice came from the speakers. He smiled in relief and went on. I am here to talk to you about a project for Southern Sudan. A year passed, then two, then three. Salva spoke to hundreds of people in churches, at civic organizations, in schools. Would he ever be able to turn his idea into reality? Whenever he found himself losing hope, Salva would take a deep breath and think of his uncle's words. One step at a time one problem at a time. Just figure out this one problem. Day by day, solving one problem at a time, Salva moved toward his goal. And that's the end of chapter 17. Come back tomorrow to find out what Salva's project is, because we only have one more chapter left.